Romans uh, 8, verses 26 to 28 is where we're going to be. Some popular and difficult passages tonight, but um, pray for me as I try to uh, maneuver my way through these verses. <laughs> Romans 8, 28, and it reads, In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness, because we do not know what to pray for as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches the hearts knows the Spirit's mindset because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Lord, we thank you for your word, Lord. Uh, bless us tonight as we get into your word. Hide me behind your cross and no flesh may glory in your sight. Help me to rightly divide the text, Lord God. Help us to be built up in our most holy faith tonight. We'll give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Verse 26 says, in the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weakness. Now, we're in the middle of a, 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 a conversation or, or text that Paul is, is um, preaching. This is a continuation of what Chris preached last week. And that's why it says, in the same way, and it's talking about back in verse, verses 22 and 23. It says, in the same way, the Spirit also joins to help us in our weaknesses because we don't know what to pray for as we should. So back in verse 22, it talks about the creation groaning because of the condition of the world, the fallen state of the world, the, con the condition of the world. It says in verse 22, the creation's groaning. And then in verse 23, it says, we groan as we wait for the redemption of our bodies. And so there's a groaning of creation, and then we are groaning in, within ourselves, the Bible says, um, as a result of the fallen state of the world and mankind. And then it says, in the same way, the Spirit also joins, joins the groaning to help in our weakness. And the word weakness is, um, it means to take hold with. He helps. The Bible says he helps. The word help means to take hold with at the side for assistance. So the Spirit comes alongside and takes hold of us and helps in our weaknesses. It means to take a, to take a share in to help in bearing. So the Spirit comes to help us to bear in our groanings as we groan within ourselves. The Spirit comes and helps in our weaknesses. The word weakness means the want of strength and our inability to produce results. So, the Spirit comes to help us because we are weak in our ability to produce results as we groan. And it says, look at what it says. It says, because, the reason he has to help us is because we do not know what to pray for as we should. Have you ever been in that situation where you're in a just you just don't know what to pray? You know you need to pray, but you just don't know what to pray for. And it says here, the Spirit helps us because we don't know what to pray for as we should. When we can't articulate and ask for the right things, when we can't even explain to God, we have to understand that we are short-sighted. We are biased towards our flesh, too. All of us are biased towards our flesh. And we're short-sighted, and we are not always competent of our own condition as fallen creatures. We are not always competent of our own condition as fallen creatures. Ecclesiastes chapter 6 verse 12 says, for who knows what is good for man in life? Who knows? In the few days of his futile life that he spends like a shadow, who can tell a man what will happen after him under the sun? It says, who knows? We don't always know what to pray for as we should because we're so short-sighted. Now, just because of that, we should never feel that we can't pray because we don't know what to pray. That's important to remember. We should never feel that we can't pray. You can't say, well, I don't know what to pray for, so I'm just not going to pray. Don't ever do that. Don't ever feel that we can't pray because we don't know what to pray for. Get on your knees anyway. And that's what says, God, I don't know what to pray for. And we're going to get a little bit more into that, what the Spirit's job is to do. But we're going to get a little bit more into that. Um, we do not know what to pray or how to pray even sometimes. And listen, and sometimes... It's okay to just be quiet on your knees in prayer. And just don't say anything. And he's talking about groaning. Sometimes the most spiritual prayer can be a wordless groan that comes from your heart. But you don't just say anything. You just get on your knees and you just cry out to God. You just groan. That could be the most spiritual prayer sometimes. Sometimes we feel like we always want to have to say something. You know, always our words, we always have to say something. And yeah, obviously prayer involves words, but sometimes just getting on your knees and just crying and just moaning before God. Sometimes that's the most spiritual prayer you can pray. God knows exactly what you mean when you do that. 
So don't be afraid to just get out and say, Lord, I don't know what to say. I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to be here in silence before you. In the same way, the Spirit also joins to help in our weaknesses because we don't know what to pray for as we should. And you ought to not be ashamed of that. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. Okay, what in the world is this talking about? The Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And this is the difficulty here. This is what I wrestled with for two weeks. <laughs> this verse right here. And this is a difficult verse, obviously. And there's theologians who disagree on what this means. Okay? But it says, the Spirit, but, even though we don't know what to pray for as we should, it says, but, the Spirit himself intercedes for us. That word inter- intercedes is huporin tunchano in the Greek, and I'm sure I messed that word up, but it means to make a petition on behalf of another. So when we don't know what to pray for, the Spirit makes a petition on behalf of another, us, to the Father. Okay? But the Spirit himself intercedes. He intercedes for us. He makes a petition on behalf of us to the Father. That's what intercession is. When you, when you pray for somebody, you're interceding for them, that's what you're doing. You're making a petition on their behalf to God. And the verse says here that the Holy Spirit does that for us. He intercedes, makes a petition on our behalf to God the Father. The Holy Spirit is our intercessor on earth. Jesus is our intercessor in heaven. Hebrews chapter 7 says, so Jesus has also become the guarantee of a better covenant. Now many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. Talking about the Old Testament priesthood. They became priests and then they died and somebody else had to take their place. Many have become Levitical priests since they are prevented by death from remaining in office. But because he remains forever, talking about Jesus Christ, he remains forever, he holds his priesthood permanently. He is our high priest. There isn't another one. We don't need a priest anymore. Jesus is our high priest. Verse 25, therefore, he is always able to save those who come to God through him. Why? Since he always lives to intercede for them. Same word. He says, Jesus always lives to intercede for those who come to him, us, who come to God through him. We get to God through Jesus Christ. So Jesus is our intercessor in heaven. The Holy Spirit is our intercessor here on earth. The Holy Spirit intercedes for us. That's powerful, church. We got the Son of God interceding in heaven and the third person of the Trinity interceding here on earth. Now, it says, he intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. What does that mean? And this is, this is the wrestle. This is... Okay, one, one and, and like I said, theologians disagree on this. There was two primary, when I was studying this, there was two primary um, uh, interpretations of this verse. One is, he's talking about divine articulations between the Father and the Spirit. Okay, so it says unspoken groanings, the Holy Spirit and God the Father, the, the Holy Spirit is, 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 is articulating to God the Father, he's interceding for us um, through the Father. And, it's, and they use the word groanings, and I think, my, my brother Pete helped me with this, and I think this is a, was, this was a, good, uh, a good help. The reason uh, Paul uses groanings is because back in verse 22 and 23, it talked about the creation groaning, and then in 23, it talks about us groaning. So it says here, in the same way, that's why he uses that term, in the same way, the Spirit also is groaning. Now, the Spirit is not groaning as we groan. He has no reason to groan, because we're groaning because of the condition either of, of the world we're living in, or sometimes even of ourselves, the condition we're in, and we're, it, it, we're, we're sad, we're crying out, and that's what the word unspoken groanings actually means, inward unexpressed feelings of sorrow. It means a cry. So the Spirit doesn't need to cry like that. For what? He's God. So, but I think Paul used that word to make the connection between the creation groaning and us groaning so we can, he can identify with us. So he says unspoken groanings. That's one interpretation of this verse. Another one is, is that the Spirit is in our groanings interceding for us. He intercedes in and through the groans of us when we're praying. The problem I have and what I wrestle with is it keeps saying the Spirit himself intercedes. So the Spirit is the one praying and interceding, not us. And so that's why the speaking in tongues doesn't work here. 
That's one interpretation, primarily, I think, in Pentecostal circles that this is talking about speaking in tongues, but that can't be because we're not the ones praying. It says that the Spirit intercedes, not you. And the Spirit doesn't speak in tongues. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So it's not talking about tongues. So that is out the window, that interpretation. But it says, but another interpretation says, he intercedes in and through the groans. The groans become the voice of the Spirit in intercession. The groans are the Spirit's vehicle for conveying our case before God. Okay? I don't say that's, that's heretical, but, okay, I don't necessarily roll with that one. I roll with the first one. I think I would go with um, divine articulation between the Spirit and, and the Father. And when you think about that, now that, that even itself, see, the, and, and this whole, this is a Trinitarian thing too when you think about it, when you look at it. The Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, who's the third person of the Trinity, is interceding to God for us. God is praying to God. That doesn't make sense, church, in our minds. That boggles our minds. Wait a minute. The Holy Spirit is interceding. He's praying to God. God praying to God on my behalf. That's mind-boggling. John Piper said, if that doesn't boggle your mind, you're not boggleable. <laughs> you're not able to be boggled if that doesn't blow your mind. I mean, you think about, and see, we have to understand, some things are mysterious, obviously, about the Trinity and the relationship in the Trinity. And so we, when the Spirit is praying to the Father, interceding for us, that really doesn't make sense to us. Why does he need to tell, explain to God what I'm praying about? But that's a mysterious aspect of the, of, the, of the relationship in the Trinity that we won't. And I think some, one translation says groanings that are too deep for words. And also, God doesn't need words either from us or the Holy Spirit to understand our hearts. And we're going to talk, get into the heart thing in a minute. Okay, so... Divine articulations between the Father and the Spirit is what the unspoken groanings is, or the Spirit uh, interceding through our groans in prayer. Okay, because we don't know what to pray for as we should, the Spirit himself intercedes for us with unspoken groanings. And he who searches the hearts knows the Spirit's mindset. Before I go there, let me, let, me, I want, I'm gonna, let me deal with this groaning thing for another minute. In Exodus chapter 2, this is the story of the children of Israel uh, in slavery in Egypt. After a long time, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned because of their difficult labor, and they cried out. It's that groan. It's the same thing, same translation. They groaned because of their difficult labor and they cried out. And their cry for help ascended to God because of their difficult labor. As they groaned and cried out, God heard them. So God heard their groaning, their crying out, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God saw the Israelites and he took notice. But he took notice to their groaning. I don't think they were out necessarily praying as they were in, in labor, but within themselves. The Bible says within ourselves we groan. You can groan without praying because your groaning is you're grieved over what, is ha what you see happening, whatever that may be. Does that make sense? And groaning over the death of a loved one. There's grief in our hearts. When you're, when you're a slave, they're groaning over the hard labor. It says because of the difficult labor they're doing. Exodus 3, 7. Then the Lord said, I have observed the misery of my people in Egypt and have heard them crying or groaning and because of their oppressors and I know about their sufferings. God said, I heard them. I heard their groaning. God can hear your heart when you're grieving. He said, I have observed. He said, I've seen it. I've seen the misery. Not only do I hear it, but I see what they're being, what they're being put through by the Egyptians. He said, the misery of my people. He said, them of my people is groaning and in misery. And I've heard them crying. He said, I've heard them crying in the middle of the night. God hears you crying in the middle of the night because of their oppressors, because of the oppression. Slavery is, oppre is oppression. 
He said, I've heard the oppression. And God also heard the cries of black slaves in America during slavery. Same thing. Because, and the thing is, the black slaves um, always refer themselves and compare themselves to the, to the slaves in the Jewish slavery. He said the same thing. He said, if God can free them, they said he can free us. That's what they said. And God answered their prayer. He heard them crying as well, and he answered their prayer as well. He says, and I know about their sufferings. God knows about your sufferings. Don't think because he hasn't answered by now that he's, he's, he knows about your suffering. God is a God who hears, and he also does something about what he hears. And he who searches the hearts, God is a, is a, is a discerner of the heart. He searches our hearts. And see, that's, that are, that's, that's a, should be, now I understand that our hearts are wicked, but at the same time, Sometimes our heart, our heart is deceptive. Our heart can fool us. And our heart can condemn us. And the Bible says in 1 John, when your heart condemns you, God is greater than your heart. When your heart is trying to make you feel guilty about whatever, the Bible says God is greater than your heart and knows all things. So sometimes when you're tempted to feel guilty, you don't have to. Because God is a, he knows your heart. Proverbs 15, 11, shield and abandon lie open before the Lord. How much more human hearts? Sheol and Abaddon. Sheol is the grave and Abaddon is the place of destruction or eternal punishment. God sees all of that. He said, if he sees that, how much more your heart? 1 Kings 8, 37 and 39. When there is famine on the earth, when there is pestilence, when there is blight, mildew, locusts, or grasshoppers. This is Solomon praying after the rebuilding of the temple. He's praying to God. When their enemy besieges them in the region of their fortified cities, when there is any plague or illness, whatever prayer or petition anyone from your people Israel might have, each man knowing his own afflictions and spreading out his hands toward this temple, may you hear in heaven your dwelling place and may you forgive Act and repay the man according to all his ways, since you know his heart, for you alone know every human heart. He says, you alone know every human heart, not just some, every human heart. He who knows the hearts. First Chronicles 28. As for you, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with the whole heart and a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands the intention of every thought. Wow. Listen to that. It says, the Lord searches every heart and understands the intention of every thought. God knows not just what you did, but why you did it. Your intention. You can't fool God. You might be able to fool me, but you ain't fooling God. He knows your intention of the heart. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will reject you forever. But it says, he who searches the hearts knows the spirit's mindset. He knows the spirit's mindset. The father understands and agrees with what the spirit thinks. He knows the spirit's mindset. Now, there's going to be a connection here, okay? He knows, why does he know the spirit's mindset? How could that be? Obviously, he's God. The Spirit is God. But why does he know the Spirit's mindset? 1 Corinthians 2, 9 through 11. But as it is written, what I did not see and error did not hear and what never entered the human mind, God prepared this for those who love him. Now, God has revealed these things to us by the Spirit, capital S, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. The Holy Spirit searches even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man that is in him? Your spirit knows your thoughts. Your your human spirit knows your thoughts. In the same way, that phrase again, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Nobody knows what God is thinking except the Holy Spirit, who is God. So, it says, God knows the Spirit's mindset because, see, in the Trinity, there's a oneness, there's a unity. They never disagree. They never disagree. That's why the Spirit doesn't have to say anything. He knows the Spirit's mindset. And it says, going back to verse, uh, and he who searches the hearts knows the Spirit's mindset. And the fact that God searches your heart, that ought to be a very humbling and at the same time scary thing. That your heart can be known by God. 
Because he intercedes for the saints according to the word of God. Okay, he knows him the spirit's mindset. God always, listen, always hears the son and he always hears the spirit. Listen, this ought to be so encouraging. Jesus is our intercessor in heaven and the spirit is our intercessor on earth. Jesus said, at the tomb of Lazarus, he said, Father, I thank you that you hear me. And then he says, he said, you always hear me. He said, you always hear me. He said, I only do those things I see my father do. I only say those things I hear my father say. Jesus and the father are always in sync. He always hears his son, Jesus, the second person of the triune God, sitting at the right hand of the Father, he always hears him. God always hears the Spirit. So listen, if I got the Son interceding in heaven, sitting at the right hand of the Father, and the Spirit on earth interceding for me, where can I go? Where, why am I lost? Where can I go wrong? I'm in good standing, y'all. We're in good standing. Because the Son always prays according to God's will, and the Spirit always prays according to God's will. And whatever God's will is, is always what's best for us. Always what's best for us. So, he intercedes. And he who searches the hearts knows the Spirit's mindset. Why? Because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Intercedes again, another word. It's a different word. It means to fall in with and meet with in order to converse. It means to plead with a person either for or against. So the Holy Spirit here is interceding for us to God. When I don't know what to pray and I'm on my knees groaning, the Holy Spirit knows what to pray. Father, According to your will, answer this prayer. Because sometimes, listen, if I don't know what to pray, and sometimes even if I pray, if I pray the wrong thing, God's not going to answer anything that's wrong. But the Spirit will intercede, and Father, this is what He means. Father, this is what she means. This is what she needs. According to your will, Lord, answer this prayer. That's for my benefit. Always. So I got the Son interceding in heaven, the Holy Spirit interceding on earth. The two people, listen, that God never says no to. <laughs> the two people God never says no to. And they're pleading for me and you. In verse 34, it's talking about Jesus. It says, Who's going to condemn us? Not Jesus, He's the one that intercedes. Later in verse 34, and it says he, he, he prays according to the will of God. See, that's why, see, the, the Spirit will never contradict the Father. He is God. He's never going to contradict Him. He always prays according to the will of God. That's why God always hears Him. So when the Spirit is interceding for us, He's interceding for our benefit according to the will of God, and it's going to work together for our good. We'll get there in a minute. <laughs> Verse 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God. It says, we know. Why is Paul so confident? Because of all of what he just said. The one who searches the hearts, knows the Spirit's mindset, intercedes for the saints according to the Word of God. And therefore, we know that all things, all things, he says, work together. God utilizes everything in our lives, including evil deeds of people. Including evil deeds of people. He says all things. He orchestrates events in our lives. God doesn't always spare us either, church. He doesn't spare us pain. He doesn't spare us trouble. He doesn't. He doesn't always spare. What he, will, what he does is the pain will not be wasted. The disappointment will not be wasted. He doesn't spare us all the time. All things, when you're a believer, all things serve a purpose in your life. All of it. The good, the bad, and the ugly serves a purpose. All of it. 
Here's a quote from John Newton. He says, everything is needful that he sends. Nothing is needful that he withholds. Everything is needful that he sends. Nothing is needful that he withholds. If he allows it, if he sends it, it's needful. You need that. If he withholds it, you never needed it. We're talking about God here. God who knows all things. He searches our hearts. If it's needful, it'll be there. If it's not, it won't. Difficulties are not to be enjoyed or welcomed, but the results can be good. We don't rejoice over uh, 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 sad things to death and, and, and difficulty. You know, um, we don't rejoice or welcome them, but if we allow God to work, the results can be good. And see, so we can miss that because sometimes because we're so caught up in what the issue is. And I understand that's human nature. We're so caught up in, 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 in what's going wrong, what's wrong, what's wrong and I'm, I'm hurt, and I can't believe you allowed this to happen to me and all of that. But the results can be good. I want to read, there's a commentary uh, from Chuck Swindoll, which I thought was good here. Um, and I think this is really good. He says, don't assume your suffering is a result of God's punishment. When it's not good stuff, because everything ain't good. Like I said, all things ain't good. He said, don't assume your suffering is a result of God's punishment. Don't assume God's punishing you. He said, do expect that when the suffering ends, he will give you even greater joy. Don't assume the Lord has abandoned you. God has left me. Don't assume that. Do confess your fear and doubt and ask him for strength to press on. It's okay to confess, God, I'm scared. And God, I'm not even sure that you're going to work this thing out. I'm not. Confess that. Don't assume you have been rejected or forsaken by God. Do remain faithful to your duties, even if you must reduce your load for the time being. Listen, don't stop doing whatever you're doing, doing ministry. Yes, yeah, sometimes you may need to take a back seat and sit down. That, but don't, that not, you don't necessarily have to do that. If you do, fine. It's okay to even do that. Don't try to press on when you can't, because sometimes mentally, you, you're in no condition and no shape to do anything sometimes. If it's, if it's a real um, burdensome grief, especially a death or something, you may need to go sit down and, and, and allow yourself to grieve and get through this, and that's okay, and that's okay. Don't assume your prayers are not heard. Sometimes God's quiet. Sometimes he just doesn't say anything. And sometimes you get scared. I'm like, God, I haven't heard anything. You open the Bible and it tells you to something that ain't got nothing to do with what you're going through. It's like, God, where are you? Don't assume that God hasn't heard. Do continue praying even when you don't know what to say. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for as we should. Don't assume that your suffering gives you permission to give up. That's a good one. Don't assume your suffering gives you permission to give up. All right, I'm done. I'm done. I can't believe this happened to me. I'm done. After all I've been, after all these years of serving this church, I can't believe God would allow me. I'm justified in leaving. I'm justified in quitting. I'm justified. No, you're not. God doesn't owe you anything. You owe God everything. Don't assume that your suffering gives you permission to give up. Do trust that the Lord will magnify his strength through your weakness. Trust that, church. God, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why you're allowing this, but I believe that this is going to work together for my good. I believe you're doing something in me, God, in the midst of this. I don't like it. It doesn't feel good. It doesn't make sense to me even, God, but God, help me to trust you right here. Well, I can't trace you. I don't see your hand anywhere in this. Help me to trust you right here. Those are honest prayers. God, God, and God smiles. I think God smiles when we pray prayers like that. Because we don't allow the situation to control us. God utilizes everything in our lives. It says, all things, good, bad, ugly. We know that all things work together. Work together. The word means to work with or together. It's the idea of a weaver carefully interlacing strands of colored cloth into a pre-planned pattern. The idea of a weaver carefully interlacing strands of colored cloth into a pre-planned pattern. 
the harmony of providence and its uniform design. God carefully working together all of these things, whatever it is, God is a master worker. And so he's carefully weaving all of these things together in our lives. We don't understand it. It doesn't look good. God, this looks ugly. I don't see a pattern here. I see a mess. See, we have to understand that God sees, always sees the big picture. All we see is a little corner of the picture, and we make a judgment based on this little corner that we see. God is working. He sees, he has a pattern that he's working together, and I got to trust the pattern. God, I got to trust that you are doing something in this. I got to trust that there's a reason you allowed my son to die. I got to trust that there's a reason you allowed my husband to cheat on me. I got to, there's a reason you allowed me to get cancer. I don't know what that is, but God, help me to see, to trust the big picture that I don't see. That you are working all of these things, this ugly thing right here, that you are working this together. You are weaving something together, God, a pattern. It says, we know, confident, I'm sure, that all these things, the good, the bad, and the ugly, are working together, being weaved together for the good of those who love God. Those who are called for the good, for our welfare, for our benefit. Knowing that this is going to be together, going to work together for my good, whatever it is, that ought to remove fear and anxiety when life goes wrong. Okay, don't allow, don't allow myself to get anxious and fearful because it's going to work together for my good. Because God promised it. It's going to work together for my good. We are not in the grip of blind chance or fate. We are not in the grip of blind chance or fate. We are not. We are in the hands of the creator of the universe who is our heavenly father. So because of that, okay, there's no chance in my life, God. There's no chance. And all things are working together for my good. This is not blind fate. You didn't, this, this, this didn't take you by surprise. It took me by surprise, but it didn't take you by surprise. You knew this was coming before I was born, but you allowed it, God. Okay, all right. And it's going to work together, you said, for my good. Help me to embrace that, to understand that, to believe that, to trust that. All things work together. Listen, some things are ugly, uh, sinful things that have been done to me that God will use in my life. Sinful things that were done to me. Here's a prime example of this in the Bible. Genesis chapter 50. This is the story of Joseph and his brothers. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, this is after their father Jacob had died. Jacob's brothers had sold him in his slavery years prior. Uh, they were jealous of him. Um, his father showed him favor. They were jealous of all of that. They sold him into slavery. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they later got reconnected. They said to one another, if Joseph is holding a grudge against us, now they say, okay, now our father's dead. You know, Joseph might decide to, you know, get revenge now that dad's gone. He might be holding a grudge all these years and never said something because dad was alive. But now that dad is dead, Joseph might decide to get revenge for us selling him into slavery all those years ago. If Joseph is holding a grudge against us, he will certainly repay us for all the suffering we caused him. They sinned against their brother. Suffering they caused him. So they sent this message to Joseph. They said, okay, listen, before he died, your father gave a command. This is what they said. They said, your father. <laughs> they say, our father. They said, listen, your father, Joseph, remember? Dad, Jacob, remember? Your father gave a command. Say this to Joseph, please forgive your brother's transgression and their sin. Dad said for you to forgive us, Joseph. <laughs> please forgive your brother's transgression and their sin. The suffering they caused you. Suffering, listen, the suffering they caused him. Joseph was suffering. This thing in his life that God allowed him to suffer for years. They sold him as a teenager. He was like 17. This is like 20 years later was sold into a strange land, became a slave, S suffered, suffered. The 
the suffering they caused you. Therefore, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. <laughs> they got real spiritual. <laughs> please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God. We serve God, Joseph, the God of your father. Now they wrote deep. They wasn't deep when they sold him into slavery. But now they got real spiritual. This is 20 years later. Okay, maybe they had some growth. Okay. <laughs> Please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your fathers. Joseph wept when he heard their message came to him. When their message came, Joseph started crying. He's like, wait a minute. Then his brothers also came to him, bowed down before him and said, we are your slaves. Okay, Joseph, we, we will serve you. Man, we mess, we, we're willing to serve you. We will be your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? Who do you think I am? You mean, am I the place of God? You planned evil against me. God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many, of many people. He said, you planned evil against me. What you wanted to do was evil. He said, but God took that same thing. All things work together. God planned it planned it for good. All things work together for good. You planned it for evil, but God had that same thing and planned it for good. To bring about the present result, the survival of many people. God took an evil deed and years, years later used it to save many people's lives. Therefore, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your little ones. I ain't going to listen. I ain't gonna, you're my brothers. I love you. I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to take care of you and your family. And he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. God took this evil deed. All things work together. God took that evil deed of them selling their brother into slavery and wove it into something beautiful years later. Joseph went through so much during, during his time in Egypt, thrown into prison, all of this stuff. All, but God, all of that time, was all of that was God weaving together the result, the survival of many people. Whatever you're going through, church, I don't care what it is. If it's something this bad, this evil, remember, God is weaving together for your good. Psalm 119. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I keep your word. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might, could learn your statutes. David said, it was good that I was afflicted. You used that affliction so that I can learn your statutes. He said, it was good. You ever feel like that it was good for you to be afflicted? We don't usually think like that. We don't pray like that. God, it was good that I was afflicted. He's like, God, what are you doing? That's our prayer. <laughs> he said, it was good. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I could learn your, stat your statutes. Hebrews 12, 11. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. When you're being disciplined, it's not fun when your parents disciplined you, whether it was physically or otherwise. You didn't enjoy that. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. The discipline that God brings is for your good. Later on, it's going to bring fruit of peace and righteousness. It's for your good. It's for your good. Tim Keller makes a good comment about this in his commentary on this. He says, Christians do not believe the world is a nice place where the life by nature will be happy. He said, we don't expect things in life to work for good on their own accord. When we find things working out beneficially for us, it is all of God, all of grace, all of him. Did you hear that? When things work out for good in our lives, listen, this is God. Especially the stuff, certain things you look out and it works out for you good, you'd be like, that had to be God. Because I didn't see nothing good coming out of that. He says, for us, it is all of God, all of grace, all of him. When things work out, Christians never say, of course, that's as it should be. <laughs> we never say that. Rather, they praise God for it. Why? Because we know this world is jacked up. And if it wasn't for God, that wouldn't have worked out for my good. If it wasn't for the grace of God working in my life, whatever that was, if it wasn't for the grace of God, that would have killed me. But God used it to work out for my good. 
So Christians can maintain a positive view of life without adopting a sweet, sentimental, and unreal, unrealistic view of things. So we can, we can have a positive view of life, not because of us or anything, only because of God's grace. And we don't have to adopt a sweet, sentimental, and unreal, unrealistic view of the world or of things. Does that make sense? So we don't say, man, it worked out the way it should. No, we say, God, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Yes, Lord. Because that would have killed me, God. But you took that very thing that Satan or even my coworkers used against me to destroy me, to get me fired, to get, but you used it for my good, God. That's only the grace of God in our lives. It says... We know that all things, good, bad, and ugly, work together, synchronized, for the good of those who love God. The good. The good is that which pleases God because it reflects his nature and conforms to his original created order. Let me read that again. The good here is that which pleases God because it reflects his nature and conforms to his original created order. God is working things back towards what, what he originally created. So when God's trying to get you to do, some, do right, that's what he originally intended. And ultimately, we will see it. We will get there eventually. But right now, God is ultimately working out all things for the good. And we have to understand that ultimately, there are no accidents in our lives as believers. There are no accidents for us because it's all a plan, pre-planned. Proverbs 16.33, the lot is cast into the lap, but its very decision is from the Lord. The lot is cast into the lap, but its very decision is from the Lord. In other words, God is even in the flip of the coin. God is even in the flip of the coin. He says, we flip the coin, but God decides whether it's heads or tails. The lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the God decides what happens in every situation. There are no accidents for us. So whatever happens, God had decided for it to happen always. Good, bad, and ugly. So there are no accidents for us. And it says, and he says, all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. Those who love God and the ones called according to his purpose are the same people. Those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose are the same people. Those who are called, the effectual call to salvation are those who love God. He qualified the statement, by the way, if you notice. He said things work together for the good for those who love God and those who are called according to This doesn't, we need, stop quoting this scripture to people who ain't saved. It doesn't apply to them. He says all things work together for the good of those who love God and those who are called according to his purpose. So it doesn't apply to somebody who hasn't been called and who does not love God. That's not politically correct, but that's what the verse says. He qualified it. All things work together for them. One of the, uh, Martin Lord Jones, my cousin has said this. <laughs> he said, I'm paraphrasing, he said, um, one of the signs of, peop- of whether we love God or not is our reaction to adversity. How you respond to adversity says a lot about what you think about God. See, so, see, we love God when we're on a beach and, you know, we're, we're out on vacation and things are going great, and, you know, we're, we're all good. But as soon as we're on a swamp on Gilligan's Island, all of a sudden God ain't good. <laughs> see, we love God when, when things are going well. Yeah, I'm on, I'm on the beach, yeah. But when adversity comes, God, what, I can't believe you. That says a lot about what you think about God, your response to adversity. Again, these promises are made to his very own people only. 
We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are called according to his purpose. The word purpose is a setting forth, a plan, an intention for his people. So it's a pre-plan, an intention for God's people. That's the purpose. We are not saved by chance or haphazard. Again, God doesn't save men without design. God doesn't save men without a purpose. Okay? What God does, he always meant to do. What is right for him to do was right always for him to intend to do. And what God always meant to do is his purpose and plan. What God does, he always meant to do. And what is right for him to do was right always for him to intend to do. And what God always meant to do is his purpose and plan. It's always been the purpose and plan of God. A couple of scriptures and we're done. Romans 9. For this is the statement of the promise. At this time, I will come and Sarah will have a son. And not only that, but also Rebekah received the promise when she became pregnant by one man, our ancestor Isaac. For though her sons had not been born yet or done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to election, might stand. Went back to God's purpose. See? With the two boys. For though her sons had not been born yet or done anything good or bad, so that God's purpose, according to election, might stand. Not from works, but from the one who calls, she was told, the older will serve the younger. Always according to God's purpose. We went back to God's purpose. Ephesians 2, uh, 3, I'm sorry. This grace was given to me, the least of all the saints, to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of the Messiah, and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. This is so God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in the heavens. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. Again, this is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in the Messiah, Jesus our Lord. In him we have boldness and confident access through faith in him. One last verse, 2 Timothy. So don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Instead, share in suffering for the gospel, relying on the power of God. He has saved us and called us with a holy calling. There's a call, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace. Three times we've seen it, purpose. Not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. The purpose was before you even thought of. Before your parents even met, the purpose was already there. Those who love God. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God, those who are the called according to his purpose, his eternal purpose from the foundation of the world. So, church, first of all, the Spirit's intercession for us, the Son interceding in heaven, the Spirit interceding here on earth, praying according to God's will, allowing and causing all things to work together, to weave together for our good. And those who are called according to his purpose. You always want the spirit and the son praying for you. The intercession of the spirit of God is so vital to us as believers, church. When I don't know what to pray for as I should, and that happens a lot. The Spirit intercedes, He and the Father having a conversation about me. The gospel, church, is so vital to our lives. On the cross, Jesus died so that this can all take place. His death burial, and resurrection, and ascension is the reason that the Spirit can intercede for me now. Is the reason he can sit at the right hand of the Father, the place of authority and power, and say, God, this is what Eddie needs, Father. This is what Chris needs, Father. God, talking to God about my needs, about your needs, 
the Holy Spirit here on earth in my heart talking to God about my needs, about your needs. The Trinity working on our behalf in prayer. So as we prepare to take communion, we're going to celebrate what Jesus accomplished, what God had planned from the foundation of the world, his purpose from the foundation of the world, the Son who accomplished the plan of salvation, and the Holy Spirit operating in our lives and our hearts here. We're going to celebrate that through communion. Celebrate the death, burial of the Son of God. We're going to sing a song, and then we're going to come back together and partake as one. The Spirit's intercession on our behalf is a gift to us. And Jesus Christ made that possible in his death on the cross. And now, the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit of God, can intercede in my heart here on earth as the Son intercedes in heaven. And the two of them interceding on my behalf. That's a gift that is priceless that we can never repay. And when we are in prayer and don't know what to pray as we should, we can be confident that the Holy Spirit of God intercedes for us, talks to the Father on our behalf according to his will for our good, working out all things, good, bad, and the ugly, together for our good because we love God and have been called from all eternity for his purpose. So as we celebrate the broken body and the shed blood of the Son, we can thank God for the intercessory prayer of the Holy Spirit. Thank God the Son for his death and thank God the Spirit for his intercessory ministry on our behalf. So Lord, we thank you for this symbol of the broken body in the shed blood of your son, Jesus Christ. Let us partake. Lord, we thank you. We bless you. We glorify you for loving us enough to put this whole plan together from the foundation of the world. Thank you for loving us enough to die for us, to give your only begotten son for us, for giving us the gift of your spirit to live in our hearts to lead us and to guide us into all truth and to intercede on our behalf to you. Thank you. We love you. We praise you. We glorify you. As we leave this place, give us travel and mercies, Lord God. Bring us back at the appointed time. We'll give you glory, honor, and praise in Jesus' name. Amen.